And welcome to another edition of the Nerd Night Nations podcast, where we are kicking off the Halloween season in the middle of September. Summer's trying to make its last stand down here in the Midwest with the fucking heat we've been having the last couple of days. But it's September. It's Halloween time. I am, of course, your ambassador from the Midwest United States, Jared Boots. And I can't kick off the Halloween season without my co-host, when it comes to the fall season, I'm a monster cereal kind of guy, so I need somebody who loves her pumpkin spice stuff. So, of course, I'm talking about my ambassador to the great white north of Canada, Miss Melissa Nicholson. Melissa, happy Halloween season. Happy Halloween season. Best time of the year. I do not deny it. I've been waiting all year for this. <laughs> Mostly for the cooler weather, but... I've been waiting for the monster cereals to hit the shelves and I've already dug at least into a half a box of uh, monster mash. <laughs> awesome. Although it must be nice to have fancy cereals. <laughs> Back in my day, they sold that cereal year round. Now it's September through or August through November only. Aw, no fun. Fucking charlatans. <laughs> So how's your Halloween season going so far? Are you doing a scarathon yet, or how many PSLs have you had so far? <laughs> well, I haven't had any uh, anything pumpkin spice yet, actually. Um, and I usually only do one pumpkin spice latte, and that's it. I'm good. I'm not I'm not like crazy about them, but I have my one every year, and then I'm good for another year. So. But I haven't had any yet. Um, I also haven't started my Scarathon yet. So I might start that soon. I actually had my first ever pumpkin spice latte last week during the convention I was volunteering at. Uh, the gal, the celebrity I was uh, uh, helping out last week, and her and I walked over to a coffee shop and I tried a pumpkin pie latte from a small like, local coffee shop. It was actually pretty damn good. I'm more of a pumpkin scone guy, like a pumpkin muffins, pumpkin scones, and pumpkin bread. That's the stuff I like mm. this time of year. But, yeah, I tried a pumpkin pie latte. It was so good. I went back the next day and got another one. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound pretty good, actually. But, yeah, they're, they are pretty good. Um, but, yeah, like you, I, I like one of my favorite things is the um, pumpkin spice muffin. It's so good. It's one of my favorite things. I've had actually a couple of those, so I haven't completely, you know, not had pumpkin spice something, but. <laughs> Have you tried pumpkin pie Kit Kats yet? No. 
Oh, they're so good. <laughs> oh, I, I might try it. I mean, I'm not much of a chocolate person, but I'm willing to try oh, it. It's 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 all it's not chocolate. It's pumpkin pie flavored. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll have to see if I can find it somewhere and give it a try. <laughs> yeah. Those and then the uh, hostess does uh, pumpkin spiced cupcakes this time of year too. I see. So hmm. good. So good. <laughs> but I got turned on thanks to our friends uh, Andy DiGenova and uh, Jamie Drewley. I got turned on to the pumpkin scones from Starbucks about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten one. I haven't scored one of those yet, but probably sometime here in the future. Mhm. Yeah, I've been I've been busy uh, getting like my Halloween. I mean, I have my Halloween decorations out. It's it's home decor for me. Like it's not you know, but I, I've been kind of decorating a little bit more, adding a few more spooky things to my displays and whatever. So I've kind of been slowly getting into the spooky season. So. And I've been to Spirit Halloween a couple times, so. <laughs> but. I, I'm yet to set foot in a Spirit Halloween yet this year. Cause I've, I've had a few things going on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'll be getting there soon. I haven't even started. I, I've watched one movie in my Scarathon so far. And we're, what, September 12th right now? Yeah. So I'm guessing Guy Milks has to be at at least... Uh, 600 movies by now at the time of this recording yeah i think like uh actually no i think he was just under 700 oh, okay like but, the uh, 698 number i think this is <laughs> guy if you're listening we know we love you um <laughs> uh, yeah the only movie i've watched so far in my scarathon is siren and I watched it because uh, I just alluded to I was volunteering at a convention at the time of this recording a week before this recording. I was uh, the handler for Hannah Fearman, who was uh, Lily in VHS and its spinoff film uh, Siren. So I watched that film. So I had a bit of a context who this character was. And I quite enjoyed it. Nice. I looked up that movie and it sounded pretty interesting. So. I've seen some movies from it's a chiller film and I've seen some films from chiller before. I can't quite think of the, of the films off the top of my head, but I know I've seen movies that have had like the chiller title next to it. Yeah. But I, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was, it was worth the $4 I spent to rent it. <laughs> nice. We're so. not here to talk about our scarathon or pumpkin spice stuff today. But I will say one more time that the Monster Masterial is delicious. <laughs> All right. So besides our, our pumpkin spice lattes and our fancy cereals, what are we here to talk about today? Well, today we were talking about uh, a series of comics that came out through DC Black Label. I want to say end of 2019, early 2020. Uh, They're presented by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, called Hill House Comics. And, uh, it was a limited run of five different titles, uh, Basketful of Heads, The Low Low Woods, Daphne Byrne, The Dollhouse Family, and Plunge. And today we're going to be talking about two of the titles because Joe Hill himself wrote two of the titles. So, Melissa, why don't you kick us off with the title you chose? Yeah. Um, so what I chose was uh, Basketful of Heads. 
which was his first one, I believe, his first uh, book that he did. And um, it was one that I think you had recommended to me at one point. You had mentioned the his series of comics, and and uh, maybe it was during episode or maybe off at some point, whatever, that you had said, give this one a read because it was kind of it was a really good um, story. Um, so anyway, I had I had this one in my collection. Um, I would like to get the other issues, but they're kind of tricky to find. But doesn't surprise me. Everything it seems to be a challenge to find for me. But <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I picked Basket Full of Heads, and the story is about um, when a trip to visit her boyfriend goes horribly wrong. June has to use a cursed Viking axe and a basket filled with heads to solve a mystery and save her boyfriend. Um, so anyway, it starts out, nothing out of the ordinary, um, but it really doesn't last long. Um, you know, it starts out like any other kind of book would, like, it, you know, unless it really grabs you in, like, zero to 100. Um, but I feel like kind of halfway through it does that, um, where it just, the June, she really goes savage. <laughs> And um, I think it, it, and what the, the 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 cursed Viking axe is sort of special um, because she can cut off the heads of she cuts off the heads of people um, specific people as she meets as she's trying to figure out this whole thing to save her boyfriend um, they still are alive like their their heads are still talking they're still they're they're still living um and they're wondering like why am i still alive like my body is like way over there and i'm still talking whatever and so she she finds a basket and she's putting basically as she meets the people and um chops their head off um she's putting the heads in the basket and so that's obviously where you get basket full of heads um it's a very dark story um it's like uh you know it's it every page there's there's something going on um there it's a it's a good balance of the like the kind of horror and then and kind of goriness but then also there's really cheeky humor in there like you know she june she makes the joke of like oh don't you don't lose your head ha 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 you know <laughs> Joe Hill, as written by Melissa Nicholson and Tim Rooney. <laughs> Pretty much, I was kind of there, there's some bad some bad puns in this one, and I'm like, yeah, I can I can appreciate them. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of the times these characters they you know they're questioning like why they're you know they're still alive, like what's going on, and you know she's trying to solve the this whole thing of you know, where her boyfriend is and, and really what's going on. And um, she basically, this all starts after there's a break in in her house and because they're looking for a specific tape. And um, it's one of the these prisoners or whatever that had broken out and was looking for her because they were basically they were going through her to find the boyfriend who would have this tape. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, so it's basically, it's her 
you know, going through all this and um, yeah, it's, it's a really good read. Um, there's a lot of things like it's, it's definitely, it's, it starts out okay, but then it, it kind of gets into a little bit like darker topics and things like that. And, um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, a lot of fun and you definitely find yourself, you're rooting for the, for the girl to, you know, um, you know, to figure things out and, and, you know, obviously survive all this, <laughs> even though you think there's at some points that she won't. Um, but, um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was, it was definitely a different kind of story. Um, and, you know, I, I, I like the balance of, um, sort of the, the, the darker tone and then also sort of the lighter humor. Cause I think, you know, you kind of need that, that light, lightheartedness a little bit in the story. And it, and it definitely brought that at really good times. You know, I really enjoyed the art in it as well. It almost, the art in this one kind of almost reminded me of like an Archie comic, except much darker. I don't know, it just, especially at the beginning, it just sort of seemed a little bit like that, where it's kind of a very sort of simple art and um, kind of that pastel-y coloring and things like that. So, but um, it still brings across that grittiness, that darkness, that, you know, the intensity of the story as it goes along. And, um, yeah, um, I, I really had no idea what to expect from this story, but it, from the title alone, it had me intrigued. So, um, but I, I definitely um, really enjoyed it and was hooked from beginning to end. Nice. Archie can get kind of dark because Archie has met the Predator. Archie's met... Uh, the Punisher <laughs> and some other weird combinations. So I, I have the first four issues of Archie meets Predator, and it, you'd be surprised how well that that cartoony pastel art works when the material gets dark. It's actually pretty interesting. It's a, <laughs> it makes for an interesting read. <laughs> but, um, how familiar were you with Joe Hill before you read uh, Basketful of Heads? I wasn't too familiar with him, actually. The only I've only read um, one other one book by him, and it was uh, Heart Shaped Box. And I read that actually fairly recently because it was uh, a friend of mine, Jenny. She really loved the story; like she she absolutely loved it, and she really likes Joe Hill's books. Um, so you know, she's a, she's an avid reader of them, and so she had read the, the particular one and said, you need to read this. Like she's, it would, it's, it's kind of got that sort of paranormal kind of thing. And she's like, it would probably be like right up your alley. And so I finally, um, I found it and I, I read it and I really enjoyed it actually. It was a really fun, um, really fun read. And uh, it, it definitely was one of those books where you just, you, you get hooked from the start. And you just kind of can't put it down until you get to the end. And uh, so, yeah, that was my the most familiarity I had with him. But other than that, um, no. So this is kind of my second round of reading something by, by him. He wrote a book about a Nirvana song? Yeah. 
<laughs> Jerry well, Boots, last, last American Nirvana fan. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's not not complete. I mean, yeah, Nirvana is, you know, heart-shaped box song, obviously, but... Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good read. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much green behind the ears too, when it comes to being a Joe Hill. I've, I was aware who Joe Hill was before I started reading these comics. I knew he was Stephen King's son. He changed his name so he could make a name for himself, which is awesome. Mm. Uh, I'm aware that he wrote Lock and Key. Uh, uh, also a comic and a show on Netflix, which I haven't seen or read yet. Yeah. And but I am currently watching the show Nosferatu, which was based on a book that he wrote. And I plan on reading the book once I finish the series. But, um, I, I was I was aware of him in that, that sense. But when I heard that he was uh, writing these comics, I had to jump all over it. And I haven't read Basketball Heads yet, so I, I might have recommended the series to you, but I, I don't think I recommended that one specifically. I don't mm. think I'm trying to recall because I the, the the one I'm going to talk about was the first one I've actually read all the way through of the five titles. Oh. Okay. Oh. So when you tell me that when she's walked, what was the character's name again? Your main June. character? June. Sorry. June. The, yeah. When you talk about how she walks around with these heads and they talk, it reminds me of several different things. Uh, it reminds me of uh, Batman walking around with Joker's head in a jar in the last night on Earth. Uh, also, a black label comic by his, uh, oh, what, oh, Scott, not Scott Snyder and uh, Greg Capullo. It also makes me think of, uh, you ever heard of a video game called Lollipop Chainsaw? <laughs> if you can find this game, it is like the funnest zombie game ever. And What's it? Strong. Lollipop Chainsaw? Lollipop Chainsaw. Okay. And uh, it's like it's like this dumb little zombie video game where uh, Tara Strong voices this character. She's a cheerleader, and her her family are zombie hunters. <laughs> and and she cuts her, her she cuts her boyfriend's head off, and he's still alive. And she attaches him to his hip, and he'll talk to her throughout the game. It's. <laughs> <laughs> so damn funny. That's what it makes me think of the whole time. <laughs> as soon as you said like the heads talk to her, that's what made me think of right away. Mm-hmm. So, did you get a taste of influence from any other kind of property while you were reading this? Um, not really. No. Um, there wasn't really anything that um sort of stood out to me as. Um, like that reminded me of anything. Um, yeah, there wasn't really. Yeah, no, there wasn't. I, I didn't um, think of anything that would have been like an inspiration that they may have pulled from. Well, how uh, how likely are you to recommend this particular story since it's the only one you've read? Um. I would be likely to recommend it if I knew that, like, you know, somebody was into sort of the darker story um, with, you know, that sort of, that kind of 
darker story, but the sort of like mystery thriller kind of thing, like that genre. Because um, it's very much like what this is. Like, it's very much that thriller sort of suspense mystery combination. Um, so if I knew that somebody was, you know, sort of into that genre, I would highly recommend it to them. Because I think um, it definitely, it, it doesn't make it sort of predictable as to what happens throughout the story or like who, you know, figuring out um, things. Because they, they do, you know, reveal some truths, whatever, about, you know, the boyfriend throughout the book that you don't, that you didn't even like it, it was never alluded to it was never a hint it was just something that they tell you sort of near the end of the story as they're piecing things together and so i thought it was well done there and i think somebody who is into that like i said like that genre of mystery and and things like that and something that you know isn't predictable because sometimes you know you can piece things together and it's like okay that you know you can see it coming a mile away um it, you know into something that's well written and you know you're figuring things out as as you're reading it and along with the characters um i think you know they would be definitely um into that it's i don't think it's for everybody though it's it's definitely not one that you know um like you know anybody and everybody could would get into because some of the the like, because they kind of mention about, like, there's sort of a bit of a backstory about a character. Um, I think it was it was a previous girlfriend or something of another character. And, uh, like, they're talking about, like, you know, suicide and, like, miscarriage and things like that. Like, it, it's not heavy in the story, but it's a part of it. So it's definitely not a light read. <laughs> um, so, but if it was somebody who is totally you know comfortable with that with those topics being discussed and you know likes the mystery thriller stuff then definitely for them i think the only question i have left is there any changes that you think you'd make to it um i don't know i don't think so um I think maybe um, maybe a little bit more like having a character or somebody who knows something about the axe itself, like having some kind of just, it, it doesn't have to be a whole thing, like just a small blurb sort of about, you know, what this axe does and it's sort of its powers and things like or why it's cursed um, because it's sort of, you've got these people who collect like museum artifacts and things and you know suddenly she's got you know she found the axe to kind of basically defend herself and then she chops off the person's head and they're still alive and it's sort of like oh we figure out that this thing has some kind of you know i don't know if you call it like supernatural power to it um so i mean it, it's not really needed i mean it just okay this you know, access powers or things like that, but it would have sort of been kind of cool just to, like, a quick sort of background about it that somebody who knew about, like, this is what this does. Um, but really, it's it's not a huge deal. Um, other than that, I think it's a really, um, I think it's a well-done, well-constructed 
story. So I don't really have any, I wouldn't make any changes to it. Nice. That's all. That's all I got. Do you have any final thoughts on it before we move on? Um, it was a good read, and definitely, um, it had been way too long since I had read it last, <laughs> and uh, you know, it definitely makes me excited to check out the other issues. Nice. So that was Basketful of Heads. Uh, written by Joe Hill, and who was the uh, artist on that one? Yeah, pencilers Leo Max and Reika Murakami, and the colorist was Dave Stewart. Oh, cool! Dave Stewart uh, colored the plunge, also. Oh, nice. So we've talked about um, talked about my my book that I chose. Um, let's talk about yours. Okay. Well, I picked the other. Uh, title that Joe Hill wrote for this and it was called Plunge uh, written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Stuart Imamin and also colored by Dave Stewart and uh, it's kind of hard to describe this story really because it, it's kind of all over the place um, it took me until about issue four until the story turned make it sense but what really sold me on it is that i really thought it was going to be sort of like john carpenter's the thing only on a ship or in a submarine but the story revolves around these characters uh, mariah lamb who's a marine biologist her assistant bill kumak kumak um a vp of special products from Rococo International, David Lakeham, and uh, these three brothers who run uh, wreck removal for ships and stuff, carpenter wreck removal, uh, the brothers Captain, Chad, and then Russell. And um, this is where I started to first get, like, the thing vibes is because their ship is called McCready. <laughs> and the company is called Carpenter Wreck Removal. So... And then you find out uh, they are hired by Rococo International to recover the remains of a ship called the Derelith that crashed 40 years ago. And all of a sudden, that their automated distress signal just started going off randomly 40 years later. And um, they're uh, hired by David Lakeham to recover the crew. All 32 members of the crew were lost. Uh, they wanted to recover the black box in the ship, see what find out what happened, and all these research materials that that crew was working on. Because they said at that time, since the ship crashed, they had samples or evidence of two Arctic birds and an eel that have gone extinct since then. So they kind of want that that research back for a little good PR for the company. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, you know how I said the story is kind of all over the place until you get really into it is like the, the book starts off with this huge tsunami like all these giant squids just wash up on shore it's it's really kind of all over the place and uh, the ship is the they're stuck on some coral outside of it's got a lot of hard words for me to pronounce in this so bear with me 
Senekik Ungaya Gagata. That's somewhere in Russia. That's where the ship is. And there's so many large Russian words in this story that I'm really debating about doing Ungaya Gagata. <laughs> <laughs> but that was important because it's where the ship is. But uh, and, and the Russians play into it because oh, they when the guy when uh Lakem goes to Captain Captain Gage Carpenter. For them to get the stuff back, go, go, we can't go into Russian waters and some treaty and blah, blah, blah. We'll tell them, well, it's our property, so we're actually allowed to go at, we're salvaging. You're not, you're not doing anything. You're, you're not stealing anything. You're salvaging. It's our ship. We have the right to go into it. Mm-hmm. We're not waiting for Moscow to say it's okay for us to do this. So, uh, Maria, Mariah Lom and her uh, Lamb. Well, yeah, Mariah Lamb, Mariah Lamb and her assistant Bill, they join up with the Carpenter crew and they go to salvage this ship and see what they can find. And uh, while Mariah and all of them spend this night on this island before they actually plunge in and try to salvage what they can out of this ship, they spend the night on this island. And lo and behold, they come across a dead body or a body they perceive to be dead that talks to Mariah when she finds it and turns out that the surviving crew, the derelict is on this Island still alive 40 years later, but they haven't aged and they have no eyes. And you come to find out that they are infested with these, what appear to be like centipede like creatures that are living inside of them. And they're able to communicate with them that way. And I feel like I'm kind of losing Melissa because I told you this story gets a little convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, it, it really, like, okay, there's a tsunami and then there's a ship. Like, it just, it's kind of like it, it was going from point A and now it's gone to, like, Z and then, and it's supposed to go to point B, but it's, like, Z to X to Y to, like, it's, where is it going? Right okay, now? <laughs> okay, okay. So stick, okay. So stick with me here because I think if I took my notes properly enough and I uh, consumed this information good enough from reading it that it will start to make sense here because some of that stuff does pay off. Um, so the main, uh, so I believe, twenty-eight of the thirty-two surviving cat crew members of that ship are still alive, and the main, the first mate, Julian Foyle essentially speaks and um, it gets kind of like biblical here for a minute for uh, most of an issue because he talks about how they want um, there's this hatch underneath this trench that they're in and they want this to go down and open this hatch for them because there's like an escape vessel for them so they can go back to the planet you find out these are like it's it's an alien story too at the same time so these uh, creatures are an alien. They want to go back to where they're from because after spending all these years on Earth, they are sick of the people here and everything. They just want to go back home. So they offer them – it gets very biblical because Julian offers them like these three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the gold is considered – oh, no, probably more valuable, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But they offer the crew – three gifts in exchange for this thing 
and one the first one is a Walkman. <laughs> so that uh, I think the the brother Russell Russell Carpenter takes it and he, it's able to tune in the frequency so he can hear people's thoughts. All he has this Walkman on and they can dive deeper and deeper in these frequencies so he can hear people's thoughts. Uh, the second gift they offer is this oil in this tiny vial that could power the state of California for 1,100 years, just that small amount. And it's that that oil had enough power to detonate like a warhead and burn for a millennium if used as such. Also, and then they have the big one, which is this little item called the Ig Ingot. It's this item, I think it's a rock or like a shard or something, and it, it obsesses anyone who lays eyes on it if they still have eyes. That's the main thing. So when they, uh, Bill Quam, Quomack, Quomack, uh Mariah's assistant, they give it to him because him and uh, Russell are taken captive by uh, the the Dareleth crew. And uh, so when Bill covers it up, they take a few members of the uh, Carpenter Wrecking Crew, and you see these guys just tearing each other apart just to see what it is. And Bill's fighting off, no, it's mine, no, no. It, it reminds me a lot. It's essentially like uh, Gollum in the ring. So Gollum and Bilbo mm. with the ring, the ring of power. So they that's how obsessive people get over this thing. They, people literally kill each other over just to see this thing. And if you don't lay your eyes upon it, or if you don't have eyes like the Daryl crew, you don't obsess over it. Mm. So, uh, uh, are you still with me? Does it make it sense? Does it make a little more sense now? A little bit, yes. Okay. So, um, so the Daryl crew proposes this hey go down unlock this hatch so we can get this quote unquote lifeboat for us to get out of there and the reason why they can't do it is because the uh the hatch has a capsule stadial which is hazardous to that species it's it's an element that's so rare it's not on the human periodic table it's not harmful to humans, but it is harmful to them, so that's why they need them to go down there and unlock the hatch for them. So they're given 24 hours to think about it, so the crew goes back, and they're talking about it, and then uh, Russell decides to put on the headphones so he can see if he can tap in to uh, these creatures' mind, their thoughts, and see if he can figure out how to defeat them. And he's warned if he goes too far deep into this that he won't come back and Russell does eventually die from this but um, he does find out that these creatures aren't bugs they are like reproductive cells essentially they are all essentially like one being so this one being is speaking throughout all these different people and they do find out that earlier in the story that um, the other bro brother uh chad makes this mushroom tea that everybody else finds revolting but it turns out actually uh when they try to stick one of these specimen inside of chad 
that Chad's body refuses it, so that they find out that the this tea that does re- does repel these creatures. It's actually pretty interesting. You find out later, and uh, their brother Gage drinks it too, so that's how he's able to fight off these creatures too. Because a lot, they slowly start taking over more and more of the the crew from the wrecking crew, and it's, it gets kind of graphic. They show them like, getting their eyes ripped out and shit. Bill gets one of his eyes ripped out when he's trying to fight off other members of the crew for this eye, the the ingot. And like Julian makes the joke, well, he's half. Oh, Bill's halfway there. He doesn't have one eye now, so he's halfway to being able to resist this thing. Um, so when Russell is diving deep into these creatures, uh, thoughts, he discovers that, um, there's an egg inside this hatch that's going to give birth to this baby for them. So yeah, they're going to leave, but they're going to leave this baby behind. But he, uh, he found out that the tsunami at the beginning of the story was a broadcast signal saying it's time it's time for them to leave it's time for this baby to be born uh the squids killed themselves out of distress and you find out at the beginning when you first meet mariah and bill that they have uh at their aquatic center they have these uh bristle worms they start going to this frenzy they start killing each other and eating each other and shit it's kind of graphic, so you find it's because they are tapping into what's going on here with these reproductive creatures that are trying to take over or just want to leave, so they had this monster. And then you get this one last thing Russell whispers to his brother Gage before he dies, because he, like I said, he went too far into the he ends up dying. And it turns out that Russell pieced together how to defeat the baby. So every... the Everything that the derelict crew gave them, the Walkman, the Ingot, and the uh, oil can be used to defeat the baby or the, the baby creature, which is actually quite interesting when you figure it out. So, And then uh, I can't remember what happens. Uh, oh, so when Mar- Mariah is one that decides to dive down into the hatch and open the hatch so these creatures can leave, which they agree to do, but they say they'll let everybody live. If they do this, but what they what they do is they tie Gage, Chad, Bill, and um, uh, Dave Lakeham to these posts. So they'll essentially drown before she gets back up. So they they won't kill him, but they will essentially drown. But Mariah comes back. Uh, Chad Carpenter ends up drowning. So now we're essentially down to Gage. Uh, David Lakeham, Bill, and Mariah. Chad, since Chad's lost both of his, or Gage has lost both of his brothers, he decides he's going to dive down. He pieces together what Russell told him. He decides, okay, I got one bomb left. I will go down there and I will blow this creature up. And what he does is, uh, in that time, David Lakeham, the VP from the company who hired the Carpenter Wrecking Crew, he sees an x-ray of the ingot and becomes obsessed with it now too. And he's since um, Gage beats the shit out of him, gets the ingot from him, has the baby chase him down into the hatch, into the water. Um, 
Gage does not have enough oxygen to make it back up, so he's essentially on a suicide mission because he has the guilt of his brother's deaths on his on his hands as he feels. So they piece together, he pieces together everything that Russell told him. Since this this creature has a thousand eyes, it's able to see the ingot, obsess over it, and follow Gage down in there. Into which Gage has a bomb left or an explosive left from the ship. Is able to use that oil as an explosive and kill the creature. And then and Bill and Mariah escape with their lives. And then it's left with a cliffhanger with Dave being possessed by the creatures. Kind of a kind of a complex story. Uh, uh, <laughs> holy crap on a freaking cracker, man. Like, whoa. Like, like, I, like I said, you gave me crap. You gave me crap for like falling asleep while reading. And it wasn't because the story wasn't boring. It was my body so fucking exhausted from what I've been doing lately. But it's. The first three issues I read, it's like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> it's, it's all, you got the Russians involved in it too, and, and there's so much shit going on. Like they had, they were able to figure out a lot of this stuff too because they had one of the derelict crew on their ship so they could examine it and all that stuff. So that's they're able to interrogate it to find get some answers too. But it, had the, it really does not start making sense to about issue four or issue five. And yeah. there's something about, too, like uh, when uh, Ch- uh, no Russell, the brother Russell, goes into this cave with Bill when him and Bill are taken captive. Russell goes in this cave and Pi is written out to the exact number. So I guess Pi, according to this story, Pi isn't infinite. It's finite. So it has an actual finite number. Okay. So that doesn't really, that's like really only didn't really pay off. That's what all the mathematics has to. But yeah, like, so the Dare, when you meet the Darylith crew, that's like they're trying to convert people into their ways. So it's got like a little religious undertone. Like, it's got so much going on, but it does, if you stick with it, it does pay off. I don't think I did, I, I really, I probably did a half ass job of trying to describe the story. Because just there's so much going on, like how do you compact it down into like a basic description without reading it yourself? Yeah. So I guess the best advice I could give you: try to read this story. No matter how much you dislike or enjoy it, stick with it till the end. Whether it makes sense to you or not, stick with it till the end because it it makes more sense once you get towards the end of it. Yeah. So there's a time I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I, am I am I too stupid to not get this, or is what's not what, like? Uh, it, why, what's with the squid dying at the beginning? What's what's what, what like, like? There's something like, is this gonna be like? It's funny because as soon as I was thinking to myself today, and I was finished up reading the story, I'm like, are they gonna pay off the? Squid? Squid dying? Like, is any of this stuff gonna pay off? And like, okay, okay, the tsunami pays off. Yeah. Squid. It, okay, some some stuff from the first issue does start to pay off. 
really the only thing that doesn't pay off is the whole, the whole interaction with the Russians because there's a few panels where the a Russian distress team is picking up all these signals. It, the whole all the panels are in Russian too, so it's like, well, what the fuck is the point of this? So I'm guessing it's. So I'm guessing I, I think it's just like a repeat because you get like an American crew that picks up on the wavelengths and everything too. So I wonder if it's just like the same dialogue only written in Russian. Probably. And then the the Russians send a sub out while Mariah is going down, and when the baby creature wakes up. It, the Russians like, hey, you need help, or do you need to school fuck off? Like, Russians. And the creature kills the Russians, like, too sweet. It's like, well, that's a lot of thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'd say if anything, I think the Russian subplot doesn't really pay off, other than the fact that, okay, the, the ship is in Russian waters, yeah. and they're not, they're not allowed to go there, but they do anyway, so it's okay with him. Why bring it up mm. when the Russians send help and then the, the creature just kills the Russians off anyway? <laughs> <laughs> so this this story very much and I and I did read some some book reviews, um, some reviews about it. Um, actually, a lot of love for this story. Um, There's a lot of people that really like they genuinely enjoy the story. Um, and they, they kind of reference, like, stuff in pop culture. And it as you're describing it, it's like, yeah, it's like they they put together Alien, Lord of the Rings, like, with that obsessiveness, and then The Thing. And they mushed it together to make a really convoluted, weird story without copying those stories. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, cause I, cause I, was, I was racking my I was racking my brain like, what does this remind me of? What does this remind me of? I didn't even think about Alien. Or, but I didn't get the Lord of the Rings thing until I got to the Ig Clearest Day. Like, that's a Clearest Day comparison. Yeah. But um, I was really hoping to be more like the thing than what it was. Uh, I thought it was. Like them be them trapped in a submarine or in a, a ship with this creature, mm. and then like okay, who's turned, who's not? But it, if you've seen the film, it reminds me a lot of the faculty, which is essentially like, and it's I was, another thing it reminds me of is Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and oh, it's the fat the the. The faculty is essentially invasion of the body snatchers for like a, a 90s audience. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. So that so I, I did get a lot of the vibes from invasion of the body snatchers. That's what it gave me the most was like invasion of the body snatchers in the faculty. Yeah, sort of like they're they're also sort of like you know paying an homage to sort of those like sci-fi like stories and and movies and stuff but in like kind of a graphic novel comic form yeah um but i definitely see the thing just based on names like what was the one you said mccrady yeah the so they get the carpenter wreck removal ship is named mccrady 
And then you get the three brothers whose last name is Carpenter. And then one of the guys is Russell. Like, come on. (laughs) Very much the thing right there, just simply from the names. And I I definitely, when I, because I was curious about the story that you had picked, and I thought, like, I just do a quick, like, just quick look up, because I didn't, I didn't want to learn too much about it, because I wanted to hear from you. Um, But it it definitely made me think of the thing very much, but it seems like it's a little bit, definitely a lot more than that. Like, there was inspiration from that, and then inspiration from different things, and very much Alien was one that came to mind as you were describing it, especially when you got to, like, talking about the creature and, and stuff like that, so, um, what would you, um, like, my, my story was fairly, you know, A to B, sort of know, you know, you know the characters, what's going on, you get a sense of things, um, I wouldn't really change much about it, but if, you know, looking at this story, like, what would you change about it? Like, is there anything that you would change or, like, omit from it and or add to it? I would cut out the Russian subplot because it doesn't really pay off at all. That's really about it. Like, they talk about the ship being in Russian waters that they're going to salvage, and then the Russians get a distress signal, the Russians show up to rescue them, and they get killed off right away. So, like, I really would say if all these freaking plot points I introduced the whole Russian subplot, Rus- the, the whole Russian subplot does not pay off at all. Mm. That'd be the only thing I would uh, write out is the whole Russian thing, and maybe the pie thing. So maybe I have to go back and reread about the whole thing with the pie on there and everything. Unless yeah. it's part of their prophecy or whatever that I just overlooked. It's, I would say, the whole mathematics of it all with the whole writing pi out to the exact number and then the whole russian thing i would leave that out otherwise it's a pretty like a, like you said like a, a throwback to like those 50s 60s uh sci-fi films mm-hmm. it'd be more like it'd be more like alien or the thing meets invasion of the body snatchers yeah yeah um did you um, when you were sort of reading this, did you have um, a favorite moment or favorite, like, um, yeah, let's start with a favorite moment. Huh. I know I do love the character of Captain Gage Carpenter because, well, first of all, he's, if I had, like, reddish-brown hair, I could play him in a movie because he's got a long beard and a haircut <laughs> similar to me. <laughs> but he's, like, such he's essentially, like, the McCready of the story from the thing. He's like the leader. Uh, so I do love him, like watching just take charge. And like, like, uh, like I said, they had one of the creatures on their board that they found on the first one that they find on the Island. They take it back to the ship and they examine it, everything. Mm-hmm. And when Russell's in his deep dive, trying to find out everything that he can dive into these creatures thoughts, uh, the, body starts talking again and Gage starts beating the shit out of it to interrogate it. You see all the the worm creatures come flying out of it. He's like, uh, Chad and Mariah are talking to Dave Lake, David Lake. I'm on the other side of the door. He locks him in because if you couldn't figure it out, David Lake, 
he essentially turns on the crew. Like he, you get that feeling that he would eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, Chad and uh, Mariah are trying to reason with him, and then still in the background, you just got Gage just beating the shit out of this cor- possessed corpse, <laughs> cutting it with a bone saw and. <laughs> Beating the shit out of it. So watching Gage be like a total badass this is probably some of my favorite scenes. Like, <laughs> you had mentioned um, when you were talking about this, like some of the uh, parts of it were really graphic. Um, do you think it it that amount, like the 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 graphicness, the goriness of it, could have been lessened, or do you think it still would have worked? I think it works for what it does because the point that Julian Foyle is trying to make with the the ingot is that how far people will go to possess this thing. So when you see you see Bill's one eye hanging out by a socket, and I, it's been a while since I've seen the Lord of the Rings film. So Tim Rooney, please forgive me. Like it reminds me of like how far. Uh, what was uh, Gollum's name before it became Gollum? Smeagol? Yes. Smeagol. So, was it the opening of Return of the King, how he essentially kills another hobbit for that ring? I believe so, yes. So, essentially, that comparison you made there with Lord of the Rings that you read about, it's that per- I think it's a perfect... Um, I think it's a perfect... Uh, it fits it because it shows you it, it illustrates perfectly how far people will go to possess this thing because it shows Bill fighting off like four other people for this little item that you can't see so it I think that kind of graphicness is needed just to show it's more like because they want to tone it down what are they going to do steal it when Bill goes to sleep at night is like they, every time they show somebody possessing this thing they like hold it they're like iron grip around this thing close to their chest, like looking over their shoulders. So it's, it's very much, they turn these people into Gollum and mm-hmm. they'll do anything to protect this thing. And the fact that they show them these guys tearing each other to shreds is just, it has to be like, it's a perfect, uh, perfect, uh, illustration to show how, how, what this thing does to people. I think it's perfect. And, uh, Stuart, I'm a men's, uh, illustrations and dave stewart's coloring it's nice and dark too so it sets like a very dark theme to it too so it's good and dark like when you're first on the ship you meet the crew from the wreck team it gets a little bit brighter and everything but once you start spending more time on this island and when the ship gets taken down it gets real dark and it works so well nice um What this is kind of an easy question, but what um, what brought you to these books? Like, what? How did you get introduced to them? Specifically, I guess this one. I believe I saw that Joe Hill. I probably read on comic, but I'm more like I probably read on comicbook.com that Joe Hill was going to be writing some horror comics, and I do like horror comics um, as a good change up from uh, DC or just regular superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that Joe Hill was writing them, Stephen King's son, I'm like, hell yeah, I got to get all over this. Because I do love Stephen King's comic adaptation of Creepshow. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I've enjoyed some like some like Tales from the Crypt style ones, and uh, I even uh, backed one on. I backed an independent horror comic on uh, Kickstarter a few years back. So that was what drew me in. And what really drew me into Plunge was it really looked like it was being plugged as the thing on a submarine or on a ship. Mm-hmm. And people who know me know I love John Carpenter, and I love John Carpenter's The Thing. So how um, – kind of a, a repeat question to, like, what you asked – what you had asked me – um how likely are you to recommend it to somebody is it is it a story that you would recommend to just anybody or does that to be like a specific person this might sound kind of like a strange answer but i would if people ask me for recommendation for it i would ask them how patient are you for things to start making sense like, are you somebody who wants answers right away or can you handle like a slow burn where eventually things will pay off for you? Cause if, if you're a comic reader that you can, you don't need your answers right away, I would recommend it more to somebody like that. If you, if you can be in it for the long haul, I'm more likely to recommend it to you than some, okay, I need answer. I need vindication right away. I need to know why these squids are dead. I need to know why this, 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 this. So if you're a comic reader that is patient with the story to develop, I'm more likely to recommend it to you. I think that's fair. I don't think that's very strange. I mean, um, I, I think that's a fair question to ask first because, you know, for somebody the you know who isn't so patient with the story, it, they're probably not going to get into it so much. Like it's not going to be something that they're going to like because the the answers aren't there or there's nothing to hint to them even like to give them like n- not anything to kind of ride on to get eventually to get to the answer. Um, so I think that's a fair question to ask because I know not, you know, not many people, you know, are into that sort of slower burn story where it'll eventually, you know, everything that's happening will, you know, I mean, there was a couple things in, in this story where it didn't really pay off, but for the most part, it, it will pay off at the end. And so I think that's a fair question to ask. Um, yeah. Because like the 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 comic starts off with the uh, the giant squids washing up on the shore because they killed themselves and this tsunami and like the tsunamis yeah the tsunami is referred to a couple times by the characters throughout the book and then and all of a sudden like three or four issues later okay this is why this happened hmm. so I guess if you can be patient enough to ride this thing all the way through then I would recommend it like. So I think, like, yeah, I would probably recommend it to somebody who loves, like, a good, like, a John Carpenter film. So I was also trying to think what else this book reminded me of. Like, oh, if it's, like, quite, like, In the Mouth of Madness or Prince of Darkness. So I was, so I was just trying to think of that perfect comparison. Like, what's this book remind me of? Like, so, like, yeah, wait for all these things to meet up. So, yeah, maybe a teeny bit Mouth of Madness. I, so I, maybe it's... This is a book I could recommend to like a John Carpenter fan. I think a John, I think a John Carpenter fan would like this book too. But mostly, I would say uh, it, I'd recommend it mostly to like a, a patient 
reader. Yeah, for sure. I think that's I think that's key for, for definitely because it, it doesn't. It certainly feels like that. Like it's it's a little bit convoluted, a little disjointed, but it gets pieced together sort of eventually. And I mean, I don't mind that. Like I don't mind, especially in a film. Um, film and, and a book really like I don't mind if it's a slower burn because it it'll make sense as it goes along you know that you're not really sure what's going on like maybe you have a bit of an idea but it's not completely there and then, and then you're pleasantly you know surprised at the end um I was also sort of thinking of I don't know maybe maybe it's a real stretch but Almost something like, like a they live, like they they're controlling them, whatever. Like they kind of get obsessive. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's too far of a stretch, but I I was thinking that at first. Yeah, like it's a teensy bit there, maybe. <laughs> but, I would say I would say it's like they live, only the roles were reversed. So instead of the like, Mariah and Gage trying to get people to open their eyes to see what's going on. The people that are possessed are trying to get them to convert yeah. them to their ways to get them to open their eyes. Well, no pun intended because yeah. their like, crew doesn't have eyes, <laughs> but they're, they're trying to get people to see their things their way. So like, yeah, it, it's like a role reversal of they live. So like, I, I, I was thinking they live at first too. I was like, it's just sitting there directing and running all these movies through my mind. I'm like, what does this remind me of? Yeah. Um, like oh well uh, like yeah and I was thinking they live at first and like yeah, okay now talking out with you I'm like okay if you can see it without reading it okay 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 roles reversed yeah it could be so if the aliens were trying to convince Roddy Piper to see things their way then I would say they live so yeah it's it seems to be very much a just a, a mesh of things but also i think like a, a a tribute or not maybe not supposed to tribute but just a you know um i think that there was actually somebody had written like sort of like a love letter to that like 50s sci-fi and we, we kind of mentioned that um a little bit earlier that yeah very much like that that 50s sci-fi where it's just you know a lot of stuff going on, things being having to be pieced together, and um, definitely John Carpenter influenced. I can thousand percent see that. I I would call it Joe Hill's love letter to John Carpenter. I would, yeah, I would definitely say that. Like fifty sci-fi and John Carpenter. <laughs> you, you got the you got those elements of the thing. You got those elements of Prince of Darkness. You got some elements of mouth of madness mm. some elements of they live so yeah. it's, it's it's very much like a love letter to carpenter yeah. which is kind of a kind of an interesting interesting take um but uh it, it definitely i i definitely want to check it out though it, it as as very <laughs> convoluted as it sounds and i was kind of a little bit lost at points um, I still want to read it because it sounds interesting, and I'm definitely for that. You know, I don't mind a, you know, that slower burn and then, you know, kind of be pieced together at the end. So, interesting. I probably, 
I probably didn't do the best job of describing it, but it's kind of a hard story to describe. I think you did very well. I don't think I did very well with, with my description, but I, I, there's a lot I left out. Um, but, yeah. No, I think you did very well. Well, I try. <laughs> Although, we, well, there it is. We covered the two titles that Joe Hill wrote of the five uh, title series. Um, if you guys want it, we could probably cover the other three series eventually if uh, Melissa's able to find access to them. I own the individual issues of all five stories. Mm-hmm. But um, if Melissa's able to find uh, some of the other ones, maybe we can cover the other three sometime. Yeah. So I, I do kind of want to dig into the Dollhouse family. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, yeah, I got to. I gotta see. So far, I've only been able to. Um, I know I would easily be able to find the, like the story that you just of your plunge. Um, I haven't seen the other ones, but I can. I most certainly can find them somewhere. I'm sure. It, it would be fun to talk about the other ones as well. I believe as as of last fall, they're all in uh, trade form, like you have with uh, Basketful Heads. Yeah. I usually like that. Like, I like when it's, I mean, it, it is fun to collect, like, the, the separate issues and kind of read one and then you're, you know, waiting for the next thing. Um, but I do sometimes like the 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 trades where it's all kind of one story in, in, in one. And it, it made sense to me of how it was divided up because it was kind of weird how I would sort of get to a point and there was, like, a kind of like a title page and then, like, oh, written by whatever and... And it was sort of like, okay, and then continued on with the story. And it's like, oh, because it was different issues. And I actually didn't know that. I thought it was just the one sort of longer story. But, yeah. I tend to collect trades with uh, either, like, backdated titles, hard-to-find mm-hmm. titles, or classic stories. So, like, Crisis on Infinite Earths, I got digitally super cheap. Or... The American Vampire series that I've been reading, it's I buy just the trades of those. That way, it's better, cheaper than tracking down oh, issues exactly. that could be worth a lot of worth more than the trade itself. Down here, a trade between seventeen to thirty bucks, depending on how thick of one you get. So, like my Doom Patrol, I had before I threw it away. Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol is like thirty bucks, but it was also like most of Grant Morrison's run of trade of a uh, Doom Patrol. Or Killing Joke, seventeen bucks. It's a classic story. Now, uh, that one's not a collection. That's just like a that was a single run. But uh, for example, a uh, good example, Dark Knight Returns, all four issues in one. So yeah, yeah. And like I've got yeah, like I've got the I've actually got a few quite a few trades. Um, like the Doom Patrol and uh, like this one, Basketball Heads. And uh, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh, deceased, I have. Yeah, I I see no problem in buying trades. It's easier than going back and trying to find individual issues. I've somebody's been trying to hunt down individual issues of shit for now. Like it, the hunt is fun, but it's also like it can get expensive and exhausting. Oh. <laughs> I know all about that. Because, like, I'm trying to find a series right now. Like, I've only found, uh, I think, only th- 
three of them or something, but they're kind of out of order. Like, I don't even have the first one. So if I can find, you know, a trade of it where it's all the stories in basically one book, I'm buying it. It may be a little more expensive, but it's a hell of a lot easier for me because finding issues of of different things seems to be a pretty big challenge, (laughs) which, you know, in some ways kind of sucks. But, um, like, because I don't mind you know, going on a hunt for things. I, I really enjoy that. Like, I, I go on, you know, a hunt for a specific LP. Like, there was one, my longest run of trying to find an LP was two years. <laughs> but it's the same with comics. Like, if I can, you know, it's it's fun, but it's also, yeah, it, it kind of gets a little exhausting. But yeah, um, I, I have a three-step process when it comes to collecting, like, particularly trades for comics. Step one is local comic shop. Step one is first step is always local comic shop to support them. Second step is the bookstore chain. Yep. Third, last resort is Amazon. Yeah. And the absolute, absolute last resort is uh, digital, which I have some digital, but I prefer physical copy. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I, how I've worked it too recently. Like, and you know, getting into the comics and stuff, it's definitely my first. My first one is either you know, is both my comic shops because there's two of them I have here. So um, I go there, check out if they don't have it. Then the next one's next one up is the you know the chain bookstore, and then you know then online. And then I mean I, I avoid digital. I don't like reading from a screen. I don't find I engage very well with the story that like I'm reading on the screen so I, I'll avoid that completely so basically it's for me it's like the local comic shop chain bookstore and then online um, but the, usually the online is the very last resort if I can't find it it anywhere so but, I'm, I'm physical yeah. copy all the way too but digital has its perks mainly convenience if it long car airplane trip Digital has its perks there, and that, and if you use like apps like Comixology, you can get some titles, like big titles, super cheap. So it has it has its advantages, but I'm a physical copy guy. But that's that's not the soapbox we're on today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I hope hopefully my finding of the other Joe Hill, um, like the other Hill Hill House comic books, uh, won't be too hard. So. Um, definitely, I haven't I haven't been to my local comic shops in a very you know, quite a while, so I, I think I'm due for a visit. So <laughs> this will give me something to look for. And I hope these were successful enough that Joe Hill does some more too. Mm-hmm. Who? Okay. <laughs> this may be a really tough question, but. Who do you who out of out of the two who do you prefer Joe Hill or Stephen King? Well, I haven't read enough of Joe Hill's stuff or seen enough of this stuff to make that comparison. Mm. Um, I've only I've only read these comics by Joe Hill. I I'm waiting to finish the show before I watch Nosferatu. Before I start, I'm waiting to finish the show before I start reading Nosferatu. And I've only really read Christine and Joyland by Stephen King. 
Yeah. It's kind of a hard comparison to make because I just don't. I'm not. I haven't seen Lock and Key on Netflix yet, so I just. So I haven't. I. I Okay, I guess I can only say Stephen King because I've ingested more of his stuff than I have of Joe Hill. Yeah. I could probably make a if I had if I had done read more, taken in more of Joe Hill stuff. I could, I think I could make a better comparison or make a, a choice, but I just have to go with Joe Hill or I mean Stephen King because I've seen I've seen more of his work i'm more familiar with more of his work but i do like i said there at the beginning of the episode i give props to joe hill for changing his name so he can make a name for himself mm-hmm. i think he's done quite well at that but um i think so too what about you who would you choose then i mean i've i've read obviously like i've read a lot more stephen king than i have joe hill um like from christine dr sleep the shining um oh my god what am i thinking of there's one more uh uh rita hayworth and the shawshank redemption and um oh my goodness there's one more uh but then like i've only read obviously two like the the joe hill book heart-shaped box and then basketball of heads um but i kind of I kind of liked um, Joe Hill's style of writing in, in the book. Um, it just seemed to be a little bit less like um, a little less wordy than like his dad can be. <laughs> I feel like sometimes Stephen King can be very wordy and kind of go on and on and on a little bit where it's like, okay, you could probably have condensed it down a little bit. I mean, it's important to have the details of story and details of character and kind of set a tone and, and a world and things like that. But I feel like there's kind of a line of how much you do. And so I kind of find that a little bit with, with Stephen King where, you know, he will kind of go on a little bit. I'm not knocking him at all. Like, I really, I do enjoy his, his stories and writing, but I kind of prefer joe hill's writing because it was a little bit more like direct like okay this is what's happening this is he builds up that world he you know creates the environment sets the tone you introduce characters like it really um not like it 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 had enough words enough things to you know okay you get into the story and you you know it's not too much um so yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of prefer. I mean, I, I love both. I mean, so far, like Joe Hill's work, the two things that I have read, I've enjoyed, and I, you know, I think he's a great writer. Um, but I think for, um, you know, for like content and things like that, I think I, I kind of, kind of team Joe Hill, <laughs> just be, based on just okay let's start the story you get into it and you know there's not a lot of extra stuff in it i can't remember which one of our friends of shows mentioned that thing was i want to say to tim rooney on anything go or he's, there's a he's cracked a joke saying that 
Steve Cooking is a backspace typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can totally get you mean because I remember back to our, our uh, Stephen King episode we did with Christine and Dr. Sleep. Is it wow. took me to get to Christine just because it's so much unnecessary stuff in that book mm. that doesn't even like. Add plot didn't stop me from enjoying it once it got to the meat of the story. But, um, I could see that, but I say I haven't read enough of Joe Hill to really have a, a hill to die on, I guess, in this debate. <laughs> but yeah, um, but the plan is to read Nosferatu once I once I finish uh, the show. So mm-hmm. I had actually gotten. A copy of Locking Key, but I didn't. I don't know. For some reason, it was just like I got it, and then I didn't read it at all. So I oh, might have to to give it a read now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I do want to check out more of Joe Hill's writing and work um, because, like, I, I really enjoyed Heart Shaped Box. I thought it was a really great, fun read. Um, so, yeah, I definitely want to check out more of his stuff. Well, there we have We just gave you two Joe Hill comic stories. Come highly recommended from both of us. Um, I think we're ready to bring on home, aren't we, Melissa? I think so. All right, so where can the listeners keep up with you? Uh, they can keep up with me on, um, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Instagram at uh, Miss Melissa N25. It's all lowercase, nothing fancy. Um, on there, you'll find a lot of nature pictures, a lot of maybe a random meme, an elusive selfie, things like that. Um, just a lot of randomness there. <laughs> um, and you can also find me on a. I have an art page um, called Scribbles of a Wannabe Drawer. So you can find me on there. I post all my drawings and kooky things that I create. Um, I posted on there and on Twitter I have page for my scribbles of a wannabe drawer. Um, I don't, I haven't really posted too much on there, but I'll usually I'll post drawings that I do and, and things like that. So um, yeah, you can find me there. So where can they find you, Jared? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA underscore Mista M I S T A underscore J. It's where you'll find pictures of my beard, pictures of my cats, and other random stuff that's going on in my life. I may have an announcement here coming up soon. Um, I'm allowed to talk about it or not yet. I'll find out when I'm allowed to make an announcement about anything. But uh, probably keep an eye out because I will be working in a haunted house this Halloween for a few nights. So I might add some photos of that on there. So keep an eye out. Plus, maybe I'll try to get some photos from this play I've been working on. So Whoever wants to see me in a dress, I'll probably post pictures of that. There better be a fucking picture of that. <laughs> <laughs> Why are people so horny for me? A picture of me in a dress. <laughs> a dude in a dress. It's funny. <laughs> Kids in the Hall of Monty Python built careers off of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm as good as them, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
As of the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nerd Not a Nations Podcast. And you can also email us at Nerd Not a Nations Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want to listen to us more or give us a follow so you can keep up on our latest episodes, you can find us on our home at Podbean, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also iHeartRadio. And also, um, be sure to leave a rating and review because it helps us be a little bit more noticed within the podcast community. So be sure to come back next time because we're going to have a, another first-time guest, one of many in this Halloween season. We're going to have a lot of first-time guests this Halloween season. But uh, we'll be joined next time by Andy DiGenova, and we'll be talking about Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, so you're not going to want to miss that. So uh, it is Halloween, so it's going to get scary out there. But the world is scary in general. So the best way we can get through all of this is to be good to ourselves and be excellent to each other. And nerd on, dudes. Happy Halloween season. See you next. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>